Hi, I'm Jenny Graham with the Tulsa World Editorial's Editor of the Opinion Section, here with... I'm Bobby Set, Editorial Writer. And we welcome you to our latest podcast and video. This video is available on podcast. You can download and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So I think one of the big news that came out of last week was, again, another epic story. We, well, I say we, reporter Andrea Eager has been covering this, I don't know, three or four years now, maybe four, probably closer to four years. And it's the, the virtual charter school that everyone seems to have reports of mismanagement from the OSBI to the, well, the OSBI has turned over the report to the attorney general's office now. So we're waiting on the attorney general to act. But Cindy Bird, the state auditor, did a great job with a comprehensive report two years ago. So, I mean, Bob, what is your take on this? You know, we've talked about it a lot in editorial board. I, the way I, I have summed it up for people is we are incredibly frustrated by law enforcement and legislatures who don't want to seem to do anything. And I don't know why. Yeah, this is... Um... It's kind of one of those things where this drumbeat keeps going on and we are slowly but more loudly and persist persistently demanding that something be done. That's where we're at right now. And when she likens this to the worst case of, uh, I don't know, financial mismanagement, what was the words that she used she with that exactly? She called it the Enron of public education, Cindy Bird did this last week. Yeah, and she was, I think, um, trying to push for prosecution, that something, you know, something needs yeah, to be bad. done. It's really, really bad when she's saying this. I mean, the allegations that are being made right now include words like embezzlement. That's, that's rather serious. And the amount of money that we're talking about, the state is seeking to recoup and that may have been misspent is in the, you know, is in the, what, eight-figure range at this point, seven well, or eight figures. The, the State Department of Ed is withholding $20 million. But what we're talking about, and that's what they're withholding from the school, problem is that's a punishment on the school, not on the people who are alleged to have committed the offenses. Right. And we're talking about in excess of $145 million in addition yeah. to maybe $60 million. I mean, it's, they're astounding numbers. It is. And, and, I, and I think you had pointed out in the when our editorial board that this seems to be maybe a reluctance because people are thinking well we can't make we can't make a big fuss about this because it'll make school choice movement look bad which i disagree because yeah. there are a lot of good programs out there who play by the rules and mm. charter education uh virtual education <clears throat> all those have a place but by not by not bringing these people to justice by not recruiting this money and holding them accountable, I think it hurts the school choice movement. Yeah. Well, I think so too. And I think one of the things that we saw evidence of what you're talking about happened in the last legislative session. They had a chance based on the multi-county grand jury's uh, recommendations to enact legislation to fix this stuff. And the House, to their credit, House members did that and then the Senate sat on it. Why? Why did they do that? And I mean, we've seen a lot of things where people have made a point of certain lawmakers getting political donations to their campaigns. And 
you know, that could be part of it. And also could be this thing about, like you said, you know, we talked about the potential harm of the brand of school choice. I don't care about any of that. If we've got people who are committing crimes and bilking the state of Oklahoma to the detriment of Oklahoma children's education, we got to do something about that. You can't sit on this. Right. I think Cindy Burns said by the inaction since her report came out, because nothing happened, they found they were able to pocket uh, eighty million more dollars. Yeah. I mean that. I mean that's ridiculous. And this would never happen in a traditional brick and mortar school. And that's the and other part of it that's. And let's be really clear about something here. Uh, one of the, the something that is supposedly on brand for the uh, conservative side of politics, fiscal responsibility or fiscal conservatism or anything like that. The legislature is charged with being kind of guardians of how public money is spent. Mm-hmm. As is, uh, you know, as is law enforcement. We're talking about the AG's office state auditor's office and anyone else that's investigating this right now. I mean, can we actually have some action of being fiscally responsible here? Can we do that? Nice. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, on, on, on the things that are, I think, going well, and I wrote about it for my column uh, for this weekend, I was struck by a small story a few weeks ago that NSU, Northeastern State University, received a half million dollar grant from the federal government, I believe it was ARPA money, the relief money, to create a child care program at its campus for dropping care for its students. And I thought it was brilliant. I, I mean, talk about a workforce need and a gap. You know, so many employers are wondering why we can't get workers. And I think, well, what is, what is the shift? So I'm thinking of working parents. And the same goes for, for parents going back to school. Child care ranks so high up there, always has, but it's just, it's one of those workforce uh, supports that doesn't get spoken about a lot. And so I checked in with DHS to see what their licensing numbers are, because I thought they had fallen off. And it was kind of interesting that during the pandemic, most of the child care facilities, homes and centers have been afloat through relief money and just through you know, caregivers making it work. But if you look for the last five years, there's been a drop off by at least 13%. And I think if you were to go back further, it's even more. So I just, you know, I wrote my column this weekend just about that need of childcare in a system. And Oklahoma has a pretty good system for oversight, but I think there needs to be more talk about infrastructure for childcare as a workforce need. But, you know, sometimes I'm talking to other parents. Sometimes you're, you're almost like another parent. Parents understand this, but sometimes um, when you don't have a child in, in care or in need, it's one of those things that's out of sight, out of mind. So, yeah. Um, but on the other end of things, you're writing about college debt. So we've got, yes. we've got debt on the beginning end of things and debt on the other side of things. So what got you thinking about college debt? So... I think maybe about a month or so ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, She is uh, kind of straddling that line between Gen Z and millennial age. So she's in her mid-20s, just out of undergrad school. So is her husband. 
and in their mid-20s anyway. So I, we started talking about personal finance and stuff like that. And, you know, as the conversation started rolling along, I was like, well, you know, here's a few things that I was, uh, you know, working up when I was about your age, da 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 da, da. start talking about setting some side, side some money for savings, opening an IRA, paying down debt, da, 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 da. and then I just stopped myself. Because in the back of my head, it's rattling is, man, it wasn't the same for them as it is for you right now. You know, it's not even close. You know, when I was in school, um, when both my wife and I got out of school, we had about 10 grand in student loans. We paid that off in about five years. The loans were about, the payments were about what you'd expect out of a car payment, right? Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today and even go back 10 years. So we're talking about two generations here, millennials and Gen Z. Their average student loan debt is $40,000. And that's average. They're, average. They're, yeah. And you, what you're talking about there is when you're talking about the average, you're not talking about just people, everybody got their four year degree. You're talking about people who had to drop out. You're talking about people who have paid more than that. And we're not even talking about the folks that do the post grad stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of these folks, in fact, I think somewhere around two and a half million Americans are carrying six figures worth of college student debt. And, you know, you can Dave Ramsey baby steps that stuff all you want and talk about, you know, we had to do this, save a little here, buy a house early, you know, invest in real estate, da, da, da. Man, when you got, when you have a mortgage-sized student loan hanging over your neck at age 22 or age 23, that you're still paying on when you're 40? Oh, there are people that are in retirement mm. that, you know, that went back later in life and they're still paying off student debt. I mean, it's- That is a huge- 50s and 60s. Yeah, we're going to pay for that in the long run because well, these are people that- that though, Bob, people will argue with you and say, well, college isn't the only, only route. You know, they didn't sure. have to take that debt out. They didn't have to go to college. Yeah, sure. So let's say they do something else. If you're fortunate enough where, let's say your dad or somebody owns a a business where you work in the trades and you can just apprentice for free off of that, cool. Otherwise, you're going to trade school. You're going to trade school, you're spending $4,000 to $15,000 a year and up. Now, it'll probably be less money total than it would be otherwise, but it's still money that you're going to be paying for. The schooling that you're going to be paying for. And we still have a lot of professions that we need to make this economy run, you know, doctors, attorneys, accountants, engineers, you know, finance pros, bankers, stuff like that, that you have to go to college to get those things. And if you're going to try to succeed in a knowledge economy, that has to be part of the mix. So the problem is not going to just go away if we start sending more people to become, you know, welders and mechanics and you know, home builders and stuff like that. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work that way. It's that's a simple, easy way to blow off a big problem. Doesn't well, hold water. Well, you what you point out is that the state government has significantly pulled back its funding of higher education. Yes. It's it's, and I've always kind of wondered in lawmakers. It's almost you hear lawmakers complaining about higher ed, 
Um, they want more college. They want people from their towns to get more college degrees, but they're not funding it to where people can afford those college degrees. And what was it? How, how, what was the difference that you found and what was the investment? Well, this goes back to a column, uh, information, a column that you actually wrote Mm -hmm. when we were in college back in the late eighties, early nineties, it was about 40% was what the state was picking up the tab for higher education. And now it's less than 10%. And you add that to how much the costs have gone up. And that's why we have these astronomical bills that people are paying to go to school. And we're not just talking about Harvard, Yale, or Baylor, or some out-of-state prestige school. We're talking about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. It ain't cheap. And yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of money that these people have to carry forward for decades in the future and that's going to stop them from buying homes from investing from fully participating in the economy like all of us remember doing from an early age and even starting families so we have an economic model in this country that's based on people being able to do that at an early age and now that's starting to grind down we're all going to pay for that right and you know going into the session starting up pretty soon Mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, and a lawmaker is going to be making some decisions on where to spend our money. Yeah. And State of the States Monday, we got the governor that's going to, and all governors are going to paint a rosy picture. I expect mm-hmm. Governor Sid to be no different, to, to say that we're doing great. Um, and we are in some areas, but, but in a lot we're not. <laughs> so, and I think as journalists, sometimes we, uh, we want to we tend to write about things. It's like, what do we need to fix? And it's not that we don't appreciate the wonderful, you know, things that may be going right. Um, in the, and I was thinking about what we're kind of looking for in, here in the state of the state. One of the interesting things that's been going on recently is uh, over the last so many, you know, so many years, the, the, the relationship between the state of Oklahoma and the tribal nations within our borders has just deteriorated. I mean, everything from the gaming compacts to the hunting compacts to, you know, McGirt and the fear and scare that's been perpetuated by your state leaders. But in recent weeks, and I think this is because the Supreme Court finally said, no, McGirt stands. Uh, the Muskogee Nation Chief, uh, David Hill, in his state of the state to his to the, the nation, basically said it's time to start over. You know, we're willing to cooperate and, and, and work with the state of Oklahoma. And, and to give a plug to an upcoming op-ed this weekend on this Sunday, the Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. wrote a piece for, piece for us saying the same thing. And I'm boiling it down pretty simple. I would encourage everyone to read it. But it's the leaders are saying, we can start over. We can cooperate. We can lead. We can have the best criminal justice system. We can have these great partnerships that make our state great. And with that, I would like to, I would like to see the governor say something similar that I, you know, all of this rhetoric about and scare tactics about McGirt has proven to be complete bunk. It just has 25,000, you know, prisoners, McGirt affected 235 and 71% of those have already been retried. So, you know, to me, I, I that's what I'm looking for. Is there anything that you are particularly going to be looking to hear coming up? 
Well, I'm going to, like you, I'm definitely looking to see what uh, the governor has to say about GERT and with the relations with the tribes. Um, but also kind of going back into my whole fiscal theme that I'm running here, um, the state has been loudly trumpeting these uh, large surpluses that we seem to be racking up in terms of uh, state revenues. And I would look at things like our, our teacher shortage that is ongoing and the, the skyrocketing cases of people leaving the profession, leaving to go to other states to teach, having to use emergency certs, again, going into the higher education thing, child welfare, state health issues, all of these things. At some point, we need to start investing our money back into the state. We need to show the people that we're trying to recruit to move here, to work here, to move their businesses and industries and potentially their headquarters here, that this is a place that is investing in itself to make it a better place to live and do business. The time is now. We have the money to do this. Now, we don't have to go hog wild and uh, mortgage our future away. But I think we do need to use some of that money to put back into essential services that make the state a better place to be. Simply sinking it into an emergency fund or passing more tax cuts, is it's not going to do it. I'm sorry. It's just not. Well, so that's what I'm I kind of wonder how much of the, the relief funds that came in. I mean, it seems like some lawmakers are a little drunk on the relief funds that we've had. And we're able to do some projects yeah. that we weren't normally able to do except for this. Well, that all is going to go away. So and we've already cut our tax. We, we cut the, the corporate and the individual tax already. And yeah. we've been promised that that'll pay off. We'll see. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be invested back and we'll have more money. So we'll see that, how that pans out in a couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. But part of this, you know, uh, participating in democracy, I want to remind everyone that we have a vote on Tuesday. Uh, it's, a, it's an election that never gets attention. It's mm -hmm. mainly school bonds some municipal things. And in Tulsa, we're voting on the PSO franchise, which editorially we support. I was a little surprised that we've had that franchise agreement since 1933. And what it basically says is PSO can use the right-of-ways and alleys, which is important during times of the storm. And the PSO pays the city fees, which is used for day-to-day -day operations, everything from police to fire. And our lighting is cheaper with this agreement. So our street lighting. So, so we... Uh, back it and we've got a lot of local boards you mentioned last week or no it was in a column last week you talked yeah. about uh, how hard it is to be on a local school board God yeah. bless them yeah if you're uh if you're serving on a local city council or a school board or something like that um i was just thinking about this as i, I was at a debate with uh for the union school board and uh, two of the three candidates showed up, and I'm listening to these these two guys. You know, one of them's a long time professional, uh, running in professional circles, uh, very highly degreed in a lot of different things, and he had served on the board before. And the other guy's a physician here in town, uh, downtown OSU Hospital. And I'm listening to these guys, and they're smart, and they are just putting out great information and communicating really well. And, and I'm just thinking, but they're also doing this on their own time, on their own dime. They could be at home with their kids. They could be watching a ball game, but no, they're here. 
and they're willing to serve and spend many nights and many mornings and many lunches and doing whatever, studying fascinating things like budgets and you know hiring processes and legal issues that are coming up and all the same you know probably taking a few angry phone calls and emails and stuff like that here and there for no money and but they do it and i think that's just an impressive thing to me and people should understand that there's a lot of sacrifices that go into running for local office and doing a job that is uh very important you know the, the lo local government affects us more than anything in terms of government and particularly with school board school board and i don't think people realize they do not get paid by law they cannot be paid it cannot exceed a hundred dollars a month so sometimes they'll pay like 25 dollars per meeting and it's not just the two meetings a month they no. have i mean you have due process meetings if you if a teacher or a staff member is let go you have special meetings all the time um it, I think it is one of the hardest offices to hold because at yeah. least with city council, you're getting paid not too bad. County commissioner in Tulsa, I think is, I mean, they're getting paid like 120,000 or more at last I checked. Some of these other, I mean, even with the legislature, they're, 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 they're getting compensated. I mean, you know, enough, but school board and, and you say a few angry calls. I think they probably, they get called a lot when people are angry because people don't think of their school board member until they're mad about something yeah you know or want something so um i've always had a big respect for people who step up for that particular office because of all the offices out there yeah if, and, you, if you're on the Jenks school board or you're on the sepulpa city council or something like that yeah i mean it's a lot of work and you are paid in the satisfaction of doing a job as well as you possibly can that's it Right. And, and the two main jobs of a school board member, I mean, what really boils down to it, it's you got to pass the budget that mm -hmm. the administration brings to you and you're involved in the hiring and evaluation of the superintendent. Mm -hmm. So those are the two primary jobs. You're, the, the school board is not picking textbooks. They're not picking curriculum. I mean, that's sometimes that micromanaging idea kind of gives me a little pause when I hear people talk about that. But, but the, the two main jobs is, of those school board are those two things. And they work closely to, to oversee, to see that. But, um, but you know, get, I'm I just encourage people to vote this weekend and, uh, or this week on Tuesday. Sport, my son is 18. It'll be the first election he'll be able to vote in. He does, he's, he's not nearly as excited as I am. But, you know, I will be taking him there. I'll get the sticker. I'll do the whole thing. So, cool. um, and so speaking of, you had mentioned, remember we talked a little bit about book bans last week? yes yeah so that's kind of taken off um, well i i asked you if you'd ever read a book that just because it was banned and you said now nah, you're pretty picky and i read catcher in the rye which was a horrible book uh but i asked some other people like some books that they might have read uh and i got back like 1984 was popular mm. um the anarchist cookbook i think that's mm -hmm. right yeah. Which I don't know anything about it, but some people said that they probably would appreciate it more at age 60 than they did at 16. Yeah. So I may have to pick that up to see what they're talking about. A lot of Judy Bloom. You're about my age. Do you remember yeah. girls sneaking around Judy Bloom books? I remember girls reading some Judy Bloom. Yeah. You had to like, we well, see my mom didn't care what I read. 
So I was the supplier of the Judy Bloom books to the to the <laughs> girls that couldn't get it. That was just, but uh, but yeah, Judy Bloom was uh, big on that. So it was just kind of funny. A lot of people, um, you know, are against, but there's a mouse was yep. banned. Yep. There were oh, outside St. Louis, there was a, a school district that uh, took four books off the shelf, a Toni Morrison book. They, they, those had to do with like race and sexuality for those books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, you, you had mentioned there was one in Tennessee, right? So a couple things here. Um, in Tennessee, there's a, there's a church out there. Um, uh, there's a pastor named Greg Locke pastors and or leads and he had a book burning oh wow they had a book burning they burn all the harry potter and twilight and anything else that really? they thought was evil yeah they had a book burning harry potter huh. yeah it was very very odd you know just citing satanic influences or whatever but you were talking about banned books and and stuff like that and so on some of those lists um some of those books are really, really mainstream. I know. You know, in some places, Lord of the Rings banned. Lord of the Rings. You know, I read that when I was a kid. Um, you know, it I'm only not... makes them popular. Like Mouse, right now, it's the number one most like yeah, you can't get it. book on Amazon. It didn't yeah, even chart in the top thousand before it was banned. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It it kind of has the opposite effect. People are like, well, why do people not want me to read this? And then they find out, well, this is really pretty stupid. But yeah, we've we've come kind of a, a strange distance here lately, where we've gone from uh, celebrating this or celebrating that, or look at this new cool book to uh, a giant swath of book bans and curriculum scrutiny and. And now, you know, stacking up a bunch of pallets in a bonfire and burning Harry Potter books. A friend of mine did. Cool. That's awesome. A a friend of mine reminded me because, you know, a lot of this is coming from the conservative area. He said that sometimes it comes from the other end of the progressive side where there are bands that want to ban Tom Sawyer and some of those outdated ones. And I I agree. I said, yes. And I think that's wrong, too, because even though it uses the N-word. And it's a horrible word, but you can't, I don't think you can ban it because we have to explain why it's a bad word. We have to see in our literature where that came from. And I think that in things like Tom Sawyer is a way to discuss that with a modern, you know, modern youth. And so I I agree. I, I, you know, on either end of the spectrum politically, I just feel like, you know, banning is just a bad thing but i will say i have not read written a book yet i know you have if i do i want it banned because honestly those things sell so if you're if you're wanting to be a writer write specifically to get it banned (laughs) are you finding there you go get this book on a no, banned it's a horrible book, book. List. Don't read it. Ban this book. Ban <laughs> What's it. What's called Outsider? Outsider, yes. I, Bob, Ban said, this no. terrible It's a horrible book. Do not. We do not want youth reading that. Get it that. on the list. Today. It's probably got a bad word in there, so forget it. So. And yeah, it actually <laughs> does have All right, a so bad to, words. So to end this, we have, I'm looking at snow right now. My kids mm. are on a snow day. Yes. And, and I miss when they were little. 
and snow days were so fun. And we, they're teenagers now. And uh, they pretty much just watched a South Park marathon. <laughs> and, uh, enjoyed, enjoyed life, made some brownies, but, uh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. And you know, as, as, as an adult, snow days, I think are just calming. There's something about winter weather that just makes it calm. But I remember it seemed like, and maybe it's just when my memory, we had more snow days as kids and maybe it's just global warming, but I remember snow days all the time, just like just the, on the toboggan. Do we have toboggans yeah. or are they just sleds? I don't know. Okay. I went down a hill. Mm -hmm. So what did you do on snow days? Do you remember your snow days when you were a kid? Well, so you got to remember that where I grew up, if it wasn't over three feet, you didn't get a snow day. Yeah, that's so, my brother-in-law's from Syracuse, New York. And he's like, yeah. this isn't snow. Yeah, we uh, in Denver, it had to be an outright blizzard because they were really good at plowing the streets and making sure things were clear. But it did happen from time to time. So, yeah, you know, we got a ton of snow. We'd do that stuff. There's this big um, uh, Cherry Creek Reservoir right in the middle of town uh, near a suburb, Cherry Hills or something like that. There's a huge earthen dam, and we would just find a, you know, a sled to go down that thing. You pick up some speed, break your neck doing that, but it'd be a lot of fun. You probably had, you'd probably skied and everything else, didn't you? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because as a kid, we didn't ski that much. So I didn't start skiing until I was in college. But yeah, my sister was in a ski club and in high school and all that stuff. And my brother Mike skied uh, on his own son as well. But uh, yesterday I was out and about and I saw two guys uh, on snowboards uh, seeing if they could find a, a some a little route to, to ride down in the hills in my neighborhood. It was kind so of funny. You, so did you go out running yesterday? This doesn't keep you from working out? No, I kind of like it, actually. I saw uh -huh. people out running, uh, which was pretty brave. Uh, the wind chill yesterday was about five. Uh -huh. But uh, fun fact, fun fact, all of the people I saw out running yesterday were women. We're tough people, man. I mean, the dudes nowhere to be found. Or, the, there, there were dudes snowboarding, but you know. or they have teenagers inside their house, and fighting a wind chill of, of five might have been better. I have I been there where it's like, you know what, I'm out. So, my favorite thing to do yeah. around here when we get a lot of snow is go hike at Turkey Mountain. Turkey Mountain that with a nice. big old blanket of snow on it is beautiful. There I you just, go. I, I like that. We still have a couple of days left, so. Well, that's yep. our weekly roundup. Check us out next week. We'll have more news, more information, and I'm sure there'll be some uh, things that'll get us riled up. So this week was pretty good overall. So anything yeah. you want to add, Bob? Write letters. Yes. Give us letters to the editor. We like them as long yes. as you're saying. And, uh, and pitch us some op-ed. So email yep. us, write us. It's letters at TulsaWorld.com for those of you who want to just it's easy to remember or look up Bob and I. It's our mm -hmm. e emails are really easily found. So we'd love to hear from you. So thank you. Till next week.